It is a tradition unlike any other, our spring conversation on Wilde and Tausch with Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's a great, uh, great first day. Good to see you, you both. I can't believe uh, the show's still going on. Uh, very happy. Obviously, Jason, you're wearing Virginia uh, sweatshirt today. I'm not sure. Uh, support Tony Bennett. Yeah. Go, go Tony. I'm All not right. A, not Don't a tech you think guy. he should get uh, – I mean, Still wearing shorts. No, but hit the – I mean – he must never go outside. But honest to God. That's what we were telling Corey. Corey Lindsley uh, today, he's pretty pasty. <laughs> Uber pasty. So, big news. It's Jeopardy. all over the internet. You're a potential Jeopardy replacement for Alex Trebek. I haven't heard that, but I'm, I'd love to. Alex, you know, had that health scare recently. Um, I'm, he's still dealing with it, but... Uh, I, he just re-signed, I think, for four more years. So. He did? Before this, yeah. I think he threw like 2022, I believe, maybe? or maybe. Yeah, I believe he said he has to beat cancer because he's under contract for yeah. at least several more years. So, yeah, I'd love to. That's like a dream job of mine. Post-career. Okay. That's all I had for today. <laughs> <laughs> well, as much as we saw about that on social media, knowing how much you love Jeopardy!, um, there has been some other stuff on social media of late in reaction to a story in Bleacher Report. Um, I don't even, you know, I don't even know where exactly to begin if we're going to talk about this. Um, but I assume you're familiar with this. You've seen a lot of your teammates, uh, some who are quoted in the story, who had less than ideal things to say, and a lot who have come to your defense. What has this been like just from your perspective over the last week or so since this story came out? Well, you know, the, the great thing about it is I've heard from a, a ton of people, you know, I, over 100, I would say, former and current players and coaches, um, you know, guys on the squad now, guys I played with for many years, calls, texts, you know, direct messages on social media. That's been pretty awesome. You know, it's fun hearing from those guys and, and when you when you kind of take it uh, on the chin with an article like this, it's nice to let those guys kind of do the talking for you with with some of, you know, when they're talking about leadership and uh, you know me in the locker room or me in the huddle or whatnot. But you know the the thing is about this article, it's it's you know it's not a mystery. This was a smear attack by you know a writer looking to advance his career, talking with mostly irrelevant, bitter players who all have an agenda, whether they're advancing their own careers or just trying to stir old stuff up. And then what happens is the same tired media folks picking it up and talking about it, uh, who this just, you know, emphasizes their opinion about me already. Um, You know, so it's just, it's, the crazy thing is there's super slanted opinions in that piece stated as fact. And then there's quote-unquote facts, which are just outright lies. Um, so in, in some cases where you, you maybe ignore something like this or you don't even really gloss over it, uh, I don't think you can in this, in this case because there's, you know, to me there's two main thesis points that I want to talk about. There, there's a number of just inaccurate or incorrect, uh, you know, opinions or facts uh, you know, in this article, stuff about, you know, how many times I changed the play or Mike telling me to call my mom, which never happened, or, you know, which, again, to me, the family stuff, 
like I've always said, I, I don't think that it's right to play out the family stuff in the media. That's just my t- my take on it. I think it should be behind closed doors. And that's how I've always established my you know my career. That's with keeping the separation of that, especially when there's been issues. Uh, that other, The other side maybe doesn't, but... Um, to go there, I think, is a little bit of a of a you know inappropriate spot, especially when there's inaccuracies there. Um, but the two main things I think I really want to talk about and just clear up, um, which are really you know central themes to the article. The first uh, is the Mark Murphy conversation, uh, because part of the the article seems to to want to say. You know, the Packers uh, are worried about me as the leader of the football team moving forward. And before I get into what actually happened on the conversation with Mark, I'm going to say two things. One, if they knew that, why would they offer me a contract last year? And two, which goes into my the second you know central thesis point that I'm going to you know take down, is if I really dislike Mike that much, why would I resign? Knowing... If I play well and we do what we do around here, we made the playoffs eight straight years, then I got hurt, we missed the playoffs, it's going to be me and Mike my entire career. So if I really disliked him that much, you think I'd re-sign? Am I really that is, – is the money that important to me? I'll tell you, it's not. You know, quality of life is important. So let me get into the first part of the Mark Murphy stuff and, and start from the back and then, and then talk about Mike. Um, on that morning, it was actually the day we hired Matt LaFleur – I was uh, driving to Estancia Golf Course in Scottsdale, and I got a call from Goody. And Goody said, hey, I'd, uh, I want you to call Matt LaFleur. Um, I said, great. Uh, so he sent over his number. I had a, a nice long talk with uh, with Matt on the on the tee, actually, at uh, at 6. Luckily, there was a little bit of a wait there. Uh, so we're on the tee at 6, and we had a nice long conversation. And um, and, and Goody had said, hey, call me back when you're, you know, after you talk to him. So I... So I called Goody back, and he said, what would you think? And I said, great conversation. You know, I really enjoyed him. I've heard great things about him from Matt Ryan and uh, and some of the guys on Tennessee. And we had a good conversation. I said, where are you guys at in the process? Do you think that, uh, you know, there's other guys to interview or, you know, what's going on? He said, well, we really like Matt. He was amazing in the interview, and, and I think that's the direction we're going to go. And you feel good about it? Yeah, you know, feel great. You know, it'll be great. He said, awesome. I think we're, we, you know, we're figure some things out, but we might you know, offer him a contract. So I'm like, wow, hung up the phone. I'm playing my buddy Greg. I said, I think we got a new coach. You know, and then we, when we finished the round, and after the round, Mark Murphy calls me. And, uh, you know, I'm driving back. I'm on Dynamite Road in Scottsdale, North Scottsdale, if you know where that is. And, you know, that's why I know exactly what happened in this conversation. And just like we always do, Mark and I have had a great relationship for a long time, very candid conversations. We get together at the Super Bowl every year and have breakfast and, um, talk about the season and and talk about life. Um, it was a great conversation. He said, "Hey, I know you talked to Goody already. Um, you know, excited about Matt. It's going to be you know, it's going to be uh, some changes, but it's going to be great. And uh, I'm glad you feel good about it and, and excited about uh, the future moving forward." And I said, "Yeah, Mark. You know, I know it's it's been a good process. You guys interviewed a lot of guys, but I'm excited that you guys feel great about them." And and I had a good conversation with him, and uh, and it's going to be it's going to be a great thing moving forward. So no long pause. <laughs> no, the article basically said, don't be a problem. It's ridiculous. It is 100% patently false. So it's either he made that crap up 
or what he would probably do as a writer is say, oh, my, this is my source's problem. They told me something. I talked to Mark early, like last week, and I said, Mark, who'd you, would you, <laughs> did you tell somebody about the conversation? He goes, that's ridiculous. And I said, because that's not what happened. And he told, yeah, of course that's not what happened. We had a great conversation, like we always do. So, so that, that that's just one point that article amongst a number of highly questionable things. Not to mention unnamed sources. I mean, put your name onto something. The same two guys. Every time there's something about me, it's the same two guys. I was 15 feet away in the locker room for you, from you, for years. If you had a problem with my leadership, come talk to me. If you have a problem by the way I'm doing something, or if I said something you didn't like, come talk to me. This is, this is years later now. They haven't been in our locker room, and it's the same tired stories. Thankfully, and I really, truly, truly appreciate my teammates for backing me up, but they're just telling the truth. They're just telling their experience with me and the truth about who I am. You know, I've been the same person. I'm highly competitive. I'm super prepared. I hold myself and my teammates accountable. And I love winning. That's what I'm all about. And, yeah, getting into the second part about Mike, you know, Mike was in San Fran 05. Obviously, they went with Alex. I'm here. Mike came in. And I used to joke with him about it because the first day he came in in 06, he goes, hey, you know, last year I was in San Fran. We picked Alex. Now I'm here. Let's Let's do something great here. And the only thing I ever ribbed him about was that he was he was pretty serious about that. Um, this idea that I had this, like, grudge against him for years is absolutely ridiculous. It's just not true. I mean, where was that grudge in 10 when we won the Super Bowl? Where was that grudge when we won 19 games in a row? Because I will tell you this about Mike, and if you look at the comments I've made about him over the years, I love Mike McCarthy. Mike has been a huge part of my success in my career, and I've had some amazing moments on and off the field with Mike. We have had issues, no doubt about it. Any long relationship has issues. But the way that we dealt with those issues, Mike and I, was face-to-face. We had conversations. Things didn't fester for weeks, months, years. It'd be up in his office. It'd be after a Thursday practice down in in the big team room. It'd be in the quarterback room. It'd be at my house sometimes. It'd be at his house sometimes. We spent time together. We talked about things. And even at the most difficult moments, when I was stubborn about something or he was stubborn about something, the conversation ended the same way every time. We came to an agreement and agreed to move forward on the same page. We got up. We hugged each other. We told each other that I love you and I respect you. And then we move forward together. That's what happened. I mean, these ideas and, and conjectures, opinions about how it actually was, it, it's just, patent, again, it's patently false. We had things that we worked through over the years. And there were a couple times where we had, you know, Cincinnati. <laughs> he said something to me, and I said something to him. But you move on. And you move forward. When I said what I said last year after, after the Bills game, what happened Monday? I went up to his office first thing. We talked it out for an hour. I apologized. We talked about how we wanted to move forward. We hugged it out, and we moved forward. 
There's no like festering years of stuff. That's just the truth. And again, with an article like this comes out, it either confirms to the people that don't like me, oh, that, see, I, this is exactly what I'm saying. Or you question the sources. You question the agenda. And then you listen to what I've said, and you go back and read what I've said over the years, and you say, hmm, maybe this guy's telling the truth. Maybe this stuff is overblown. Maybe they want more drama to be there than there actually is. To finish this, off, this thing off about Mike is something I think is very important, you know, especially in this day of, of news, news media. I think it's very important that we, as Packer fans, because I was a fan long before I was a player, but we as Packer fans and Packer people, I think we need to honor Mike and respect him the right way. We had a hell of a run. We had 13 years, four NFC championships, one Super Bowl, eight straight playoffs, 19 straight wins. We did some incredible things. So instead of trashing this guy on the way out, let's remember the amazing times that we had together. Because Packer fans, remember this, especially those of you who live in Green Bay. Mike lives here. Mike has young kids here. So Mike has to be here. Think about how difficult it's, it is for him. So my, my favor that I would ask of you strongly is, if you see Mike, shake his hand. Tell him thanks for the memories. Tell him thanks for the coaching job that he did. Tell him how much you appreciate him being a part of what we built here. Because things change from 06 to 18. You know, we came off of a bad season in 05. And we built something special and had sustained success. So instead of trashing this guy on the way out, last year was tough, no doubt about it. But let's honor him and his legacy as the second winningest coach in Packers history. And if you see him, please just show him the respect that he deserves. Because not only does he have to live in Green Bay, he wants to. He loves it here. And he's going to be here. So if you see him, do me that favor and show him the respect that he deserves. So from the article, it's talked about the draft that he was in San Francisco. Grudge hold. I mean, you hold the chip. There's no doubt about it. That part of it is there because people that are critical of you are going to say, well, yeah, that's how Aaron operates. He's going to have that. That's always going to be there because it did irritate you that 23 other people got picked before you. Yeah, it irritated me until we won a Super Bowl. And I won a couple MVPs. And, I mean, those chips are gone. You have to find new ways to motivate yourself. I've talked about it on this show, in the locker room there many times, that as you get older, you have to find different ways to motivate yourself and different things that inspire you. And the old, you know, like, oh, 23, you know, who are we playing this week? Oh, they passed on me in 05. I don't think like that. I'm good friends with Alex. I... I rejoice in his success. I pull for him every time we're not playing him. He's a fantastic guy. I don't have any animosity towards Mike Nolan, the Niners organization, anybody that was there. I'm fortunate I'm here. I've been here for, this is my 15th year. Things, I mean, it's the butterfly effect we talk about. If they pick me, who knows? Would I, would I still be here at 35, living out my dream, still getting to play? Probably not. So why should I have animosity towards a decision that happened that actually built character at a time where I needed a little bit of humility. Do you have any regrets in your relationship with Mike? Oh, man. You know, I, I think that I I wish I hadn't said anything after the Bills game last year. 
Um, I wish I'd just gotten him in person. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful to him, but I know how it came off. And that's what I told him when I when I met with him um, face-to-face. Um, but, but no, you know, I think the, the beauty in our relationship was that it, it grew year after year, and we learned really how to communicate with each other. The beauty uh, in our on-the-field relationship was that there was a ton of trust. So when I read stuff like, oh, you, you know, I disrespect him by changing all these plays, I had a lot of latitude. He knew that, and I knew that. I called the two-minute. I'd call stretches of no huddle offense. Um, but I wasn't, he wasn't sending the play in, and I'm like, nah. You know, a lot of times he would send two plays in. Hey, do you like this or that? You know, th- and that's that's what it grew. That the trust level was was really high. And I know it makes it tough on a, may, it might make it tough on a play caller when I'm going in a no huddle period or I'm going in a two minute of, of knowing exactly what's called. But that's the trust that we had, and and that's why I appreciate getting to play for him for so many years. I don't want people to be able to look at this conversation though and say, well, of course Aaron said this because of the way the article read versus the way you would want it to be presented. So is it fair to say that you enjoyed and liked Mike McCarthy as a human being a lot more than at times you liked him as your coach? Because you did say that there were frustrations that you had, and there were times where maybe you guys did not see as eye-to-eye as you needed to. I love Mike McCarthy. He's a, he's a great man. I mean, he's got a huge heart. Uh, he really cares about his players. Um, and he showed that to us. You know, he's um, contrary to the article. You know, we spent a lot of times, hours, really starting in 2009, I think it was. You know, we just talk, like after Thursdays, three or four hours sometimes. And it'd be like an hour of ball and two hours about life or stories from Pittsburgh or whatever. And, and you know, shared a lot of really uh, intimate moments you know, thoughts and feelings and stuff over the years, and um, and I love those. You know, um, as far as a player to a coach, like it's it's just two alpha males who are hyper competitive and love winning, um, and are both a little stubborn. Um, but again, you know, we talked through so many different issues over the years, and that made us a lot stronger. I feel like, you know, I really feel like just reading this article, it's somewhat, it's obviously different, but it's it's a lot like Brett and I. That there was, there was this idea that Brett and I hated each other or that there was a, a, you know animosity about certain things. And what you find out later is it was never about Brett and I. And there was mis... We didn't communicate as well because, you know, I didn't hear from him. But... I wasn't ultimately upset at him. We just, and we finally came together, and now we talk all the time. You know, he's a close friend now, and we communicate and text and call, and I saw him last year. It's kind of like that with Mike. Like, because there's not a lot of people on the inside, everybody's going to have their own opinion, and they're going to draw this snippet from Cincinnati and, and this when I, you know, you know, said something at the sideline here. And, and it's like, those are moments of frustration that didn't define the relationship. So is it fair or unfair to say that you guys would have more to show for your time together had you two done a better job and blame on both sides of it 
if you two had done a better job of managing your own relationship and your own stubbornness and your own egos or whatever words you want to use there. I mean, I think if, if, if you're saying a coach and a player win championships by themselves, but I think it takes an offense, a defense, a special teams, an organization to win championships. And um, there was a lot that was in, in, in our control, in our relationship, that I think we made work. And I think it's evident by how we, you know, competed and the numbers we put up and the wins we put up over the years. But um, I think it takes an organization to win championships. So a couple other things, and then I want to move away from this story because we've talked about it enough. Um, I am curious, though, because it was very cursory, how much opportunity did you have to comment on anything that was in it before it ran? Because you and I have known each other for a long time. My opinion when you're going to write a story that you know has some explosive things in it is you have to let the subject know that you're writing them and give them a chance to speak on them. Were you give, what kind of opportunity did you have, and did you turn down an interview for it, or how did that work logistically? Well, I'm speaking on Wednesday this week like I always do, um, and that was, that was what was communicated, and that wasn't, uh, wasn't early enough. I think, I think the article... Wanted they wanted it to get out after after Mike and Domofsky's uh, interview got out. I think they wanted it out there as quickly as possible. Um, and then the the other part that I'm curious about, and, and you didn't mention them by name, but it is the same two guys every time. It is Greg Jennings. It is Jermichael Finley. I'm curious. Did you have some idea when they were your teammates? I mean, one hasn't been your teammate since 2012. The other one since October thirteenth, October 2013 when he injured his neck. Did you have an idea that there was not a connection with those guys when they were your teammates, or has this come out in them in the days since they were your teammates? No, I mean, I didn't know that. No, they, didn't, they didn't mention it to me. My first you know, initial thought is uh, at, at what point did – did J. Mike think I was I was a bad leader? Was it? It couldn't have been when I was up in his room every Saturday night before the games, going over plays and talking about checks I was going to make and plays where he was going to be in number one read. It couldn't have been when I was at the hospital uh, the night he broke his neck and spent a couple hours with him. It couldn't have been when I followed up and, and saw how he was doing. So when did this happen? Where he, you know, he, he was like, oh yeah, he's he's not a not a natural born leader. And with Greg, you know. I don't even know what to say with Greg. Does it bother? I mean, does it bother you? It bothers me that every time there's an article, it's the same two people. And if if there's not an article about me, do you ever hear their name anywhere else? Do they get interviews with people? Are they out there making comments? Are they making the rounds on on the shows? I would say probably not. Definitely not in the same capacity. So I would say. At what point do you move on? You talk about me being sensitive and petty. At what point do you move on or stop telling the same stories? Like, really? A, a conversation with Carlos Rogers in the field and making a joke about about his, his situation? That's what you're going to hold on to? And, oh, yeah, I knew that, you know, I wasn't going to be, a, you know, a Packer next season. It's the same two people. It's the same story. At some point, you got to have something else to talk about. 
One of the things the article did talk about, and I want to transition away from the story itself now, is you with your young receivers, whether it's Valdez, Scantling, or EQ, the process now. You once you took a class at Butte called Introduction to Coaching, right, with Russ, Critch, Russ Critchfield, who was a former Cal athlete. You really enjoyed that class. I know that that's at your core of your leadership approach, that you have to treat everybody differently, but equally but differently. Do you look at the young receivers, and we've talked for years about the importance of earning Aaron's trust, do you need to adjust how you go about that? You don't have Jordy here anymore. You don't have Randall here anymore. What's that process like, and do you have to tweak it maybe with some of the guys you had on the team last year and whatever other guys you had moving forward? Well, fortunately, you know, they've had some some great leaders in that room over the years, and last year with Devontae and Randall. Uh, who are two of the best we've ever had. You know, those guys do a great job of trying to hold them accountable. And for me, it's just echoing a lot of stuff that they're saying. You know, it's practice habits, it's approach, it's preparation. Um, Like I said before, uh, my style of leadership is my style. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared, I'm focused, I'm competitive, and I hold myself to a high standard, I hold the guys to a high standard. Not a standard that they can't reach, a standard for a rookie that's attainable. And it's based on learn how to be a, a, a practice player and what a good practice looks like and learn how to be a pro, you know, being on time, being prepared, knowing your stuff, and communicating. Um, you know, Jake was basically a first-year player last right. year. Um, you know, I think the relationship with all those guys was very positive. I mean, why else would I throw the ball to EQ, you know, at, at 30-30 in the San Fran game on the sidelines? And the checks that we made with uh, with MVS, you know, throughout the year. And he grew. And I think, you know, he went through a, a, a patch where he wasn't playing as much as, as or playing as well, you know, kind of after the Rams and, and the New England game when he played really well. But I think he learned a lot from that. And uh, and I'm excited about him and, 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 uh, and EQ. And, you know, Jamon, I think, has a fresh start with his staff. Very talented guy. Jake obviously was very strong last year before getting hurt, but um, the approach is the approach, and it's you know it's never has never involved disrespect, but respect is earned. Respect isn't freely given, and I think with some of the young players, there is a greater sense of entitlement. Um, it's just the world that we live in. Eyes are on them right away, whether it's social media or the camps or the. ESPN top 300 players or whatever website is writing these guys, there's a different kind of style coming in. But respect is always earned. And the opportunities to earn that respect are there from day one, meeting one, conversation number one. And I look forward to seeing those guys grow this year. In the piece was the route. He has a route coming in from here. He claims that you changed the route. Can you clear that up? Yeah, that was a play. That was a play in in New England, where they brought empty pressure, and he had press coverage, and the, with the route called, I thought it was an outside release from a go route, um, and he broke to the post. So I threw it to the go. He ran to the post, and we came over, and I said it was press coverage. That particular route would go to a go route. I don't know what the whole flag part of that was, but, um, but yeah, again, that's not changing the play. That's in the route. A post first press coverage, that type of post turns into a go route. Not to mention, if you look out there, like we always say, awareness, 
You can see there's no safety in the middle of the field. It's pressed up. You see pressure come. you got to look earlier. And that's exactly why I told him on the sidelines. you got to have some awareness that, hey, i got to get the ball out because they're bringing one extra guy that we can block. So, again, that's, I'm not sure why that was in the article. It didn't change any route. You know, it was the conversion route, a, a route that starts as one route that goes to another route. It's in the playbook. It's an early install, and then it's awareness. So today you started the new era. Matt LaFleur addressed you guys, and then you started your workouts. Um, after the frustration of last year and the losing, which you weren't accustomed to, um, is it good to have a fresh start? Are you excited? Are you revitalized? How do you feel with this new start that, that the Packers have and you have? Well, it is exciting. It feels like the first day of school, um, and you have a you know bunch of new teachers around. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, just kind of little changes. They painted the walls and the hallways uh, like a, a, a bright white. Uh, it's always kind of been a little bit uh, dimly lit. Um, and just a little change like that was good. They put up some murals around there, some you know, some sayings in the big team room. They uh, you know changed some things around. Matt had us uh, uh, switch seats today. Just you know, it's a it's a new start, so we're gonna switch seats. So actually, uh, I've been sitting in the same seat for 14 years. When I got to the Packers in '05, I wanted to be in Brett's hip pocket. I don't even have maybe ever told this story, but. When I walked in the team room the first time, which was uh, yeah, the off season, I wanted to see where Brett sit, sat, and not sit next to him because I thought that'd be a little weird. But I sat <laughs> kind of right in front of him to the right, so he's in the back row. So I've been in the second row in the fourth chair forever. And AJ Hawk sat next to me for nine years. Uh, Van Pelt sat next to me for a few years. Pepper Burris has been next to me for a few years. But I I told Pep this morning. I said. Uh, Got to go. Got to move down closer. So I moved down next to some of the linemen. But just, you know, I think stuff like that is good. You know, you're in a routine for so many years doing doing the same thing. And um, it is, you know, it's different different voices. Nathaniel Hackett and obviously Luke Getzey's now going to be in the room. Um, but it was fun. You know, it's fun seeing all the guys, getting to meet both the Smiths, Z, as he wants to go by, and, and, and Preston and, and seeing uh, Adrian this morning, you know, gave him a gave him a, a little bro hug and said, "Glad he's on the on the good side now." Um, and met Bill as well. Uh, and then just getting to see, you know, some of the guys that you you don't see, you know, for three months or don't really talk to. It's fun to kind of check in with everybody and see where they're at. And they're, I mean, it, it's natural. I don't know if they're doing that with me. Hopefully, they're not making judgments about. You know my body at this point, <laughs> although I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. But uh, you look around, and see some of these guys. There's big jumps from years one to two and two to three sometimes. And with Instagram, you know you can follow how your teammates are doing, the workouts are doing. We tease Danny Vitali all the time. He's a great Instagram follow, by the way. <laughs> if you're into if you're into like meathead workouts and and tattoos and stuff. Um, but guys start to realize i think years one to two and two to three how important this is this being a full-time job and and uh it's fun to see the guys come back and you know like feel good about themselves and they're you know feeling ripped up and stuff but uh it'll be fun to get into you know day one's always always fun it's going to be different this year we have too many camps which i haven't done a mini camp in forever because mike let the vets out for so many years uh, and this year we have two of them, one pre-draft and then one obviously at the end of the off-season program. 
What uh, did who came back that you kind of were like, whoa? I thought the two running backs. I mean, and I, I'll say uh, Danny Vitale too because he'll you know get a kick out of that. But uh, <laughs> he's just. I mean, he's yoked up. Like Vitaly. John Kunas. Yeah, he's he's he does the green band before the game to make sure his <laughs> biceps are looking as big as possible. <laughs> but um, but I thought especially uh, Jones and uh, and Jamal, you know, looked uh, look good. Uh, the line, they all look uh, look great. They're going to be happy. I gave him a little love. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's. Uh, it's different change is is, uh, uh, is different. You have to embrace it and, and move forward. Uh, Chris Gizzy's you know now kind of running things in the in the strength and conditioning program. Uh, similar thing that we had happen years ago. I think the year actually we won the Super Bowl. Uh, Dave Redding, Redman, who was with us for so long and uh, well not that long, but a few years, and he was fantastic uh, as the the head guy. Kind of took a backseat to, to Mark Levat. And uh, was fantastic, and I think there's, it takes a certain type of person with uh, great humility and understanding uh, to do something like that. I give Mark a lot of Mark Levat a lot of credit, um, but Gizzy, you know, did a great job today, and and I, I love our strength our strength staff. They do a, a fantastic job, so it's fun to see all the you know all the there's a few former you know new new faces and some guys you've known for a long time. Um, it'd be fun to kind of meet them. Stenovich, who was with us briefly in in 06 as the line coach had a you know, had a funny little intro this morning and we got a butt kiss in, uh, on the on the line as well the assistant uh, o line coach so it's going to be fun how do you view the process of now building your relationship with Matt LaFleur i mean it's something that everyone's been wondering about he has faced a lot of questions in fact when i saw him in indianapolis he talked about it being a partnership and i think there are some that'll be like no 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 you're the boss Aaron Rodgers is the employee. I don't think he sees it that way. How do you see your relationship and what the process is to building it? I don't know how much you've talked to him already besides that one call. What's that going to be like? Well, I think it's going to be uh, a fun process. You know, he's a uh, he's a super energetic guy. You know, I think he's a real straight shooter, honest honest guy. We've had some uh, some good conversations. You know, they've had to be uh, brief and social in nature. Uh, during this off-season period, but uh, no X's and O's. That's against yeah. the rules, right? But it's been fun to get to know him, um, and uh, and I'm excited about working with him. I think any great play caller to quarterback relationship is a partnership. Um, ultimately, we both know who the boss is, and it's him. But uh, it it works best when it's a partnership, and and I'm excited about working with him. I'm also excited about working with Nathaniel. Um, you know, he's been around different teams obviously has great pedigree and his background of being around the nfl and uh i'm excited about working with with those two guys and then obviously luke and i created a really good friendship when he was here as a receiver coach so it's you know it's going to be those three guys a lot of times in the room probably matt a lot and matt and luke for sure and then nathaniel in there a little bit also so for folks that don't understand when do you get into x's and o's like we talked with matt in indianapolis about he called some can plays that you can run this, right? But you haven't really gotten into much of any of that yet. So when does that part start? Because that's, you're, you know, are you going to have the same latitude that you had before, all that kind of stuff? When do you start to find out about that? Well, we just had our first, uh, you know, kind of mini install this morning, crash course and uh, personnel and formations. 
there's some blending of some of the 05 offense with some of the formation calls. Um, not a ton of carryover from last year, so it's a learning process. I heard there's going to be a quiz tomorrow. So, um, you like as that? opposed to other off seasons where you might not have to really dive into the playbook a whole lot, uh, other than the new stuff that's in. Uh, I'm going to do some studying tonight uh, to make sure that I'm uh, dialed in. They have some sort of uh, gaming system that's going to allow you to know exactly who got it right, who got it wrong, how fast they got their answer in. Oh, so. God. <laughs> so wow. I'm going to make sure I study tonight because there's some uh, some tongue twisters. You know, when you have, like, five different S words for – you know, a certain type of formation and six different B words for bunch formations and T words for one by three. And whew, it's going to be a, it's going to be a learning process. I'm excited about it, though. It's going to be a good challenge. Anything jump out at you that because you talk about the first meeting and it, when Mike was there, the first meeting was world's champ. There's things that to this day I remember him saying stack success. Anything from your first meeting, the first impression that Matt LaFleur gave his team? Well, I think a lot of those stories are better when they come out a little bit later. I agree, but I still am going to ask. Yeah, well, that's kind of going to be my answer <laughs> to you. I, I think, you know, I think he did a, he did a really nice job up front, and he's very natural. But uh, maybe down the line we'll talk about some of the some of that stuff. You talked about seeing. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and the offensive linemen. You didn't see Randall Cobb today. You didn't see Clay Matthews today. Last year you didn't see Jordy Nelson. Um, Favre went through that. You've talked about it a few times over the years, how it changes with John Kuhn. What's that like? And Is it getting harder and harder, and are you even more and more motivated to figure out ways to connect with all these kids that you're playing with? Well, definitely relationships change. Um, all the time, and I think naturally, you know, the the ones on your the guys that are still on your squad, you know, when other guys move on, they naturally kind of take that that spot. It's the, the guys you hang out with, the guys you spend time with, the guys you're calling or texting or doing dinners with or going on trips with. Um, but when you're talking about guys like Randall, guys like Jordy, guys like Clay. Guys like John Kuhn, you know, Mark knows because we you know, went out to Augusta again this year. Those guys are always going to be in your life and close to you. Um, I played with 10 years with Clay, and, you know, we've worked out a number of years in the off offseason. Um, I think he's a fantastic guy. Love playing with him. Have a ton of respect for him and his toughness. Um, definitely going to miss him. Randall, you know, he's like a brother to me, like a real brother, you know, like a guy – who I can count on 100% with anything to, to talk to, to run, to run through, to hang out with. You know, we've been on vacation with him and his his amazing wife Ida. Um, you know, he's always going to be in my life. Jordy, you know, same way. You know, J.K. same way. Uh, it's tough though. Yeah, it really is tough because it changes. It changes the relationship. Like with AJ, you know, I sat next to him for nine years. And now I, you know, I'll talk to him maybe once a week or every other week. You just don't see him the, the same amount, and it's different. You know, there's nothing like those days. I saw James Jones last week because uh, he lives in Chandler, and I've been spending some time in Arizona. And there's nothing like getting together. I mean, there's absolutely nothing like getting together. He had his retirement party 
a little over a year ago, and you know, Chamas there and Jordy and and a bunch of guys I hadn't seen in years. And there's nothing like when you get together with those former guys, Mark. You know, you know, getting together with with uh, you know Cliff and uh, Marco and Wall, any of those guys. There's there's just nothing like that that time. And when it's gone, you just you have to figure out kind of who those next guys are that you're going to be your core guys, but you still have to reach out to, to everybody and and get to know them and, and make them feel like they're part of, of what you're doing because when guys are most comfortable, then the team chemistry and the squad is more connected. And when the team is connected and the chemistry is right, then you can really do some special things. I can't imagine, though, how hard it is to not have those guys to work with every day. Like you said with AJ, the relationship changes. So who are your closest friends now? Because the ones we rattled off are, are longtime friends. Is it you and Devontae? I mean, give us an idea of what those relationships are like now. Well, I'm going to start with the old, the, the gray hairs. Uh, and I got a couple coming in. But uh, but the, the biggest gray hair on the squad, Mason and I, have, have been close for years. And um, his locker has been three down from mine for forever since 2007. So uh, he's you know he's always been a been a close friend. I love spending time with these quarterbacks. I mean I think they're both really really great guys. Both Tim and Deshaun, obviously a lot younger than me, but they're fun to be around. You know they just they love learning and and they're just they're really uh, fun to be in the QB room with. And I really enjoy my time with them. I love the line. I mean the line is. It's the best room in the building, I think. You know, they're just, you know, like Tosh knows. It's just a bunch of great big dudes who love having fun and fun to be around. They love cutting up. You cannot be sensitive in that room with those guys out to dinner because everybody, you know, there's always going to be fun little teasing about something you said that week or something you did or, or whatever it might be, something you put on social media. You know, we've had young guys talking about, you know, trying to, you know, talking about their Tinder game or whatever it might be. You know, there's going to be jokes about about uh, about everything, and it's all in good fun. But but I love uh, I love those guys. You know, Corey is one of the funniest guys um, on the team. Probably only beat out as far as funny goes by Dave, because uh, Dave Bakhtiari is just you know he's a super guy. His family is amazing. I love spending time with with them when they're in town, and and Brian Balaga. You know, just. A, He's been a, a rock for us for years. He's a fantastic guy. Lane Taylor, I've known Lane now for, for years. He's a fantastic guy. You know, I love spending time with those guys. It's a lot of fun. You know, we do our, our weekly O-line dinner during the season, and uh, a couple of those guys are going to be coming out to the Derby. And, you know, and it's 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 fun being back with the guys. You miss them when, when, when you're gone, for sure. Who's most likely to beat you in this new trivia that Matt LaFleur and his staff have? Corey? No. <laughs> they weren't even in there for the for the formations. It's it's got to be a skilled player. I think that uh, I think that Tim and, and Deshaun will be will be worthy adversaries. I think Devontae. What would probably. be the odds going in that you win? I mean, you'd have to give. You'd be the heavy favorite, right? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I hope so. I should win. I'm, I'm shocked that you think <laughs> I that. I should win. So how is the, how's the health? You had the knee early in last season. You you did not have surgery, or you did, I don't know what. How's the knee? How's how everything coming? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling really good. Um, I got uh, I got you know some a, a series of shots in the off season, which I've done before. 
uh, in talking with uh, with with Doc McKenzie, as opposed to doing surgery. And after I got back from New Zealand, I felt incredible. You know, I really did. I, I, my knee felt amazing. Obviously, dealing with uh, what I was dealing with throughout the season. Did you ever say what you were dealing with, or is that a top, I, is that HIPAA stuff? I know. I don't think it is. I think I can probably talk about it now. I had a uh, tibial plateau fracture, and uh, and obviously an MCL sprain. So that was very painful. Um, For us non-doctors, I know you and I have MDs, but what does that mean, tibial, uh, what did you say? Tibial, tibial plateau fracture. So it's the what top is, of What is tibia. that? So it, was it cracked? Yeah, it's the lateral side. Um, just if you watch the hit back, just my, my two bones here that come together on the, on the outside just kind of made an indent fracture. Um, very Ouch. painful. Uh, the good thing was it's not super uh, weight bearing like load bearing every single time but there are definitely some movements uh and things you do naturally that uh that affected it the mco was uh, frustrating as well because it did start to get better and then um christian jones tackled me on the sideline against detroit early in the game and it just basically reset the whole thing so uh you know i don't feel like after the first quarter of the season first game you know i really wasn't 100 percent the entire you know that's not an excuse for the way you know i played or didn't play um but uh yeah it limited my mobility for a good part of the season how do you think you played i thought i took care of the ball really well um you know obviously we had a number of uh throwaways i'm not sure what the uh, maybe the nfl number was but i know that you know we were averaging uh, almost four a game, uh, and that's really obviously going to hurt your uh, completion percentage. Um, I thought there were, you know, there were some times that uh, the mobility definitely, definitely hurt me in, in years past, where I could extend plays or, or really get out and uh, and, and threaten with the with running the ball or throwing on the run. It, it affected, you know, some of those throws on the run where I wasn't just throwing the ball away, but. Um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I started 16 games. It's disappointing how it ended. You know, getting that concussion was uh, disappointing and also a little scary, um, honestly, especially the older you get. Uh, Why? Why scary? Well, I couldn't, I couldn't see. I lost I lost the uh, vision. Um, definitely uh, peripheral. I just, it didn't, you know, I got hit and, and I came on the sidelines and I was sitting on the bench and I went back out there. And by that third series, you know, the normal 180-plus peripheral shrunk to, like, blinders. Uh, and so I... So was it for the, the first time, your helmet came off? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So the first time in my career that I've taken myself out of a game. You know, I obviously broke my collarbone twice. Um, Detroit game. Detroit game, you know. But I came back. When I could, obviously can't come back from a broken collarbone. It was the first time I ever took myself out of the game, and so it's nice to. I didn't have any lingering effects. Like I was talking, uh, you know, with our docs, and I, I felt like I would have been cleared actually the next week. Which again, head injuries are all different. You know, Devontae Adams took that crazy shot and then played the next week. Right. You know, because some guys bounce back and some guys don't. I had zero reoccurring issues, but uh, but it is nice to be sitting here. You know, the off season is on your body, especially an older player, it's 
it's great. I, mean, I feel I feel great. You know, my legs feel good. My feet feel good. My, but it'd be nice to to be a little uh, healthier from the start. Some you can't uh, you, you can't avoid, but um, I've made some changes in my off season. Uh, uh, training regimen and, and approach and kind of team that I have around me, which I think is going to help. So David Bakhtiari came on the show, and I asked him after the season you endured and him being such a good friend of yours, what to expect from you this coming season. And he said, have you seen John Wick? <laughs> what do you think Jason said after he said that? <laughs> no. No, he goes, mm-hmm. I thought he was going to have this great quote, so I didn't want to ruin it by admitting that I hadn't seen so the John Wick movies, so I, 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 I did love, not tell the truth. love those movies. Really? Three's coming out as well <laughs> in, I think it's, is it June 16th or May 16th? Check, it's one of the 16ths. <laughs> you will be there. He's riding on a horse. There's like some leak. What is May. May, okay, May 16th. Yeah, it's coming up next month. I love both. If those movies are on, you know, there's, we always talk about like, uh, Shawshank Redemption or, you know, what, Hoosiers or whatever, Rudy, you know, people have these movies. If it's on, I'm watching it. You know, Lord of the Rings. For me, if John Wick is on, one or two, that's 9.30. Okay, yeah, I'll watch it. Well, we'll get to uh, Shawshank Redemption and Mark Tauscher doing his uh, famous imitations from it in a minute. Um, but so I said... Yes, yeah, what, hey, what made you get into the Shawshank when you were kind of saying your ode to Jordy? Why did you go that road? I wanted to, honestly, I wanted to find, I wanted to find a, a cool quote to kind of, to kind of honor Jordy the right way and it typified our friendship. And I was, I just, I thought about that. I, I love that movie. I think that's a. You know, a great uh, part in that movie after uh, he's gotten out of jail and uh, you know across the border. My friend, and uh, that's all you're going to give him. I'm not going to. He can run the tape. I'll get him the tape. But it's a, that's a great part in the movie, and I thought it was kind of apropos. Well, it was great. Um, not as great as me not being honest with David Bakhtiari about John Wick. Then he says, uh, "Well, remember what happens to his dog? What he does after they take his dog?" Which I didn't realize they actually killed this dog. Well, because you haven't seen the movie. I have now. I've seen them both now. But he said, that's what Aaron's going to be like. How determined, motivated. You're 35. You have a new coach. How how do things change for you going into this coming season? Because you you always want to win. You always want to win a Super Bowl. But is it different in some ways after what you've gone through the last couple of years? Because I know how determined you were last year after missing so much time with an injury the year before that. I'm always going to be determined and, and motivated uh, from within. The excitement comes, and I've, I feel like as opposed to many years where there's a new coach and a new team, you know, everybody from the fans to the organization to the players kind of goes, well, oh, you know, we're in year one. I don't feel that with this. Really? With this. And we're one day in, so I'm making a uh, a feeling based on kind of the outside looking in and just spending one, one day together. But I feel like we're we're very close, and I feel like a lot of stuff's going to set up for us because they're going to be talking about two other teams in our division at least, and in our conference a number of other teams uh, that have either done things or added pieces. Uh, I love that we're starting out the season. Fantastic test, tough environment against a really really good team. I think it's a, it's going to be a great uh, opportunity for us. 
uh, to kind of see where we match up starting the season now when it's strength against strength and, and you know, assuming that everybody's going to be good to go on both sides. It would be a, a great uh, opportunity to see where we stack up against uh, a team that was close to being uh, the best in the conference last year. So speaking of things that I'm being made fun of, not only did I lie about John Wick, but apparently uh, my feelings for Jordy Nelson have become... Uh, He's given us great content. We've had probably a year and a half of shows. It hadn't been one week we haven't brought Jordy into it at some point. When the Raiders let him go, did you get your hopes up in any way, shape, or form that he could be back? <laughs> I saw something. All I had to do was call him, right? And he'll, he'll come back. Let me just tell you, it's not that easy. Because uh, if it was that easy, I would have called a lot of people, you know. Charles, John, JJ, Cobby, Jordy, on down the list. Tausch. That was time for me. <laughs> it was time. That was time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there'd be. Do I think we could do something? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. No the, the, we just have a connection. Oh, boy. This is going to definitely. But he's happy. He's happy. Retired. And I was teasing for a while that he'd, he'd be a California lifer now, you know, <coughs> moving out there. But uh, and I think he still is. No, he's definitely still out there because Royals in school. But uh, he's heading back to Kansas. He's got some farming to do. I, I'm just going to sit back and let you do some more of the interview now because that I get so much grief. But he believes it, too. And his opinion means a heck of a lot more than mine does. That's true. <laughs> there's def- there's no doubt about that. It was, it, it's never been about that I like Jordy Nelson as a guy. I do. But the two of you, I mean, you, as much as you love Cobb or as much of a connection as you've had with other players, have you ever had a connection at the level that you had with Jordy? In, in, our, in our time, when we're really, really, really rolling, no. But this 17 we got, you might know him. It goes by the name of uh, Devante. He's special. What makes you say that? He is a different type of guy than we've ever had. From a personality standpoint, he's a fantastic locker room guy, a great leader. And he's scary enough in his room and the locker room The guys listen to him. Because he's passionate, and people follow passion. When somebody's passionate about something, it could be any walk of life. It could be any type of job. When someone's passionate about something in a position of leadership, people follow. And that's the kind of guy he is. And then when you're talking about his ability at the line of scrimmage to beat people, fast enough to get on top, athletic enough after he catches the ball, he's uh, he's a different type of player. So even with, and we'll put a bow on this, so even with the new coach and all of the change that's happened, nothing's changed expectation-wise, team-wise, and yourself. It shouldn't. It is his title town. We should expect uh, us to bounce back. And I expect to, our team expects to. I'm excited about the additions that we've made. Um, I love Mike Patton. I think he's a fantastic coach. And, you know, there's... There's going to be uh, no excuses this year. We don't need a grace period. 
um, and we all expect to get something rolling, and hopefully we can get that rolling and come together as a team and, and do something great. There's 32 teams that think they can win it. We're one of them. But uh, I think we all know there's only 8 to 10 every year who really have that something special. And I hope we're one of those 8 to 10 when, when it comes September. Does all of the outside criticism, the article not even withstanding, but all of the other outside, it's probably the most criticism you've t- I've seen from the outside you take. Is that I know you're internally motivated, but is there anything about you that says, yeah, also that'll be a nice little cherry on top to prove everybody wrong? Not really, and I say that because um, I've, I've definitely grown a lot over the years as a person, as a leader, and, and things that maybe used to bother me a little bit more don't bother me in the, in the same way. But then you also have to consider the source. We're not talking about James Jones, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Charles Woodson, Julius Peppers, uh, Sam Shields, Tremont Williams, A.J. Hawk. Yourself, Cliff, Scott Wells, Darren College. We're not talking about those guys ripping me. We're not. And I think that's something you really have to remember. We ain't talking about guys who were integral parts of our team chemistry and what we did. Now, those guys are both great players. I'm talking about dudes who were integral to what we did as a team. Chemistry glue guys if you got those guys coming after me i'd be i'd be hurt by that media criticism is another thing entirely though and your performance last season got a lot of people talking assessing he needs to throw get the ball out faster he's holding on to the ball too long this that the next thing so that part you don't worry about at all like my opinion doesn't matter, nor do my brethren, right? Yeah, correct. So that noise, how do you make sure that it never gets in? Or does it get in and you know what to do with it because it's not important? Anybody says it doesn't get in is lying. You, you just redirect it. You know what I mean? You redirect it, you put it in its place, and you move forward. When you find your value slash happiness on the, in the opinions of your critics, that is a a roller coaster you can never get off of. When you fa- find your value and your happiness inside of yourself and with the people you surround yourself with, you're not even on the roller coaster. So anybody who says, oh, I don't even get into it, is lying. Because it's 2019. You hear about it, you go on social media, you read about it, somebody sent it to you, Tom Fanning sent it to you, Jason Waller, you're going to find out about it. Right. So, I mean, like, so of course you find out about it. But you just redirect it. You put it in its place. And it's a learned trait. It's not something you just like wake up and you're like, oh, that. You know, it's, it's something that you learn how to do. But I've seen a Dalai Lama, and I've learned how to redirect <laughs> things in my life. Now, I'm joking about, about His Holiness, but, I, you know, I think it is, it is something that you learn how to do. You put it in its place, and you get off the roller coaster. So one of the things we always do when we sit with you is we talk about all the fun stuff, and we haven't done that really at all so far. So let's do that. You mentioned the Dalai Lama. You had the shark thing last year. Um, 
this baby season? sharks. Uh, this was he wasn't out with the great whites. It's just it was eleven foot blue. Okay. <laughs> Stiff yeah. arming with your throwing. Hand. Yeah, I wasn't a great white, thankfully. Um, what is this off season? What have the, been the fun things you've done this off season? We know you went to Paris. We know you went to New Zealand. I hope you didn't bungee jump the way your left tackle did because that seemed dangerous. Tell us about your trips and your travails. With Danica bungee jumps. Um, you know, she was trying to. We actually met up with uh, with Dave and and, uh, and his awesome girl uh, Frankie out there. Um, Frank Dave said D- Frankie wouldn't go on the bungee with him. She did though, not with him. No, with him. <laughs> <laughs> with him. <laughs> I don't think that'd be safe. But uh, but no, we met up with them. It was the end of their trip, the beginning of our trip. Um, started out going to uh, Kona. Because Jerry Kelly, who's you know I'm very close with, he was playing in the tournament over there. Right. So we kind of stopped off there. Great coffee. Yeah, really good. And great shot off the lava rocks. Yeah. That was unbelievable. Oh, sh- that was his oh, <laughs> you know what shot? That's what he said. He got quoted on that. But uh, but yeah, so we got to see him and and uh, and Carol and uh, his caddy Eric and and uh, Eric's great wife Meredith, and then we went over to. Uh, the North Island and, and spent some time at uh, Waiheke, which is like a, kind of a, a wine island. They make a ton of white wine there, and it was it was nice for a couple of days. Saw Dave and Frankie. Did what to me was the was the highlight going to uh, Hobbiton. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, and we got to tour the set the set of the Shire in six I think it's six movies they had. They used twelve minutes of footage from the Shire, but uh, now they get. About a half a million visitors every year. They're charging about <laughs> eighty plus a pop. Uh, America, they're God doing they're doing pretty good. But I had a blast at Hobbiton, and then uh, had a cool lunch on the coast. Went down to the South Island, um, Queens Town. I'm going to take your word Queenstown for it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, just go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Queenstown was great. We had a lot of, a lot of fun. It's just beautiful country i mean i left there and me and uh, danica both saying you could legit live here it's that pretty the people are nice super nice pace of life is super laid back so that was a great a great great trip uh i went on a couple really fun golf trips uh, the hat i'm wearing is from madison club which is a course a club in palm springs um have a little golf group that we do something every year and had a blast there and then this other golf group i have involving uh, this guy <laughs> named tauscher and john coon and our our good friend Burgess colbert who's been you know fantastic uh was gracious enough to host us again at augusta and there's nothing like it. i mean mark knows there's just nothing like uh pulling up magnolia lane and uh, they, we were in a van. Uh, they thought we were lost, probably. <laughs> we but, didn't uh, have the same story. I was, I was really bummed. Our, of course, Coon and I's flight, We some of us flew pr- uh, public, and we got down late. <laughs> so we met Aaron. We didn't get to take Aaron in the minivan through. Uh, the, our buddy Diker takes us out uh, before we hit Augusta. and So we didn't get the same Detroit Lions trying to get make you know, that guy feel <laughs> That is bad. a great That's story. Just, it was fantastic. So was this a better experience for you guys now the second time? Yeah. It, we got it, to play it, the par three, which yeah. is awesome. John almost made a hole-in-one. He did? About an inch. Johnny inch. is Johnny Augusta. He played – I've played a lot of golf with John. He played one of the best rounds I've seen him play at Augusta. Yeah. And he, he kind of spit up a little better. He'd have finished – he'd have beat Aaron. 
Really? He doesn't want me to. I and he would have had him. And I played really good on you, the back. You battled back. Johnny had him beat. Johnny was ahead by about four at one point. Wow. Yeah, he did not finish great. And then he didn't finish strong, and I finished real strong. But then what else? So a little, a little romance. You went over to Paris, right? Yes. Okay, so did. what? What was why? Why did you do that? And what did you? It was it was uh, it was Danica's birthday. So, I, uh, so do you tell her? Or you just say pack a bag. We're going. Pack a bag. We're going. I like that. Yeah. But uh, did you do that with Sarah? No. Okay. No, no, we we had a, yeah we had a fun day. Walked around went to the Eiffel Tower, um, and then took her to a great restaurant. And then a, a really good friend of mine who travels all the time for his company had gone to Paris. Uh, a couple of years ago, and watched one of our games, and they're on. It's I think it's it's five ahead of New York, so six ahead of here, and found a bar, you know, that was that had the game on, and it's the only Packer bar, according to my man, only Packer bar. What's your man's name? Pierre. <laughs> I knew it was gonna be. <laughs> Pierre it says it's the only Packer oh, bar in uh, in Europe. So he had gone there and met the guy, and then gone back in his in his trip. Every time he went back to Paris for work, he would, you know, go by and at least say hi, even if it wasn't on a game day. So Danica went out there last December, and with a girlfriend of hers, and, and so they ended up stopping in and saying saying hello. And he's selling the bar in like a month, so I don't know if it's going to be a Packer bar anymore. But uh, we decided to to surprise him and go in there. And he was geeking out. Oh, I can't imagine they, how yeah. excited How many people were in there? About seven. One dude from Munich who's wearing a Packer hat. That's happened to be in town. He started geeking. There was a, a girl from Stevens Point, I think it was, who had married a a, a French guy. An old pointer. And okay. she uh, she came in and said hi. And then, and then a buddy of his who plays in, like, the Paris uh, Professional Football League. Over there, came in and, and said said hello. We had a blast. I mean, we had a lot of fun. There was, we were gonna stop in for maybe a drink, and it was about, you know, three and a half hours later, we're still there, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to go to this after?" I'm like, yeah, it's like two thirty in the morning. I'm going. I'm tired. But we had a good time. That was a blast. But the bar owner was better with you than you were with Denzel Washington. Oh my God, way better. Thanks for bringing that up. So <laughs> what happens when you tell all those stories. So. You guys go back to work today, but you do have another window of time off after your final yeah, summer time. camp and yeah. started. So what else do you have planned? Tahoe again. That will be my 15th time playing in the American Century Championship. It's an absolute blast. We also have the second annual um, showdown, which is NBA versus NFL. It's going to be at Bahamar in the Who won that last Bahamas, year? NFL, of course. Uh, yeah. Are we invited? Can we do the show from there? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, so that's going to be in the, in the Bahamas, Bahamar, which would be great. What else? Yeah, and then just got to decide what to do for the 4th of July. And I got some commercials I'm doing, State Farm again, and uh, some other stuff. But, yeah, it'll be. But you're going to have to watch your team in the playoffs, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, 100%. I'm assuming we're on the, you're on the Giannis for MVP train? Yeah. Who do you got? Well, I, I mean... Yeah, I think Giannis. I don't even think it should be close. But Tony, who's kind of the NBA uh, expert on this panel, are you on board with Giannis as well? I think everyone locally is on board. Nationally, James Harden gets way too much love, in my opinion. He's had a spectacular year, though. He's done. You got to admit. I mean, whether you like his game or not, the the run that 
the run that he went on was pretty incredible. I mean, to every night be putting up 30-plus. 30-plus, and then there's a streak of 40-plus, and he had a couple 60s in there. Um, but, you know, Giannis is leading us in points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. Yeah, maybe not steals. I know maybe Blitzer was close to him, but uh, he does it all. He's had a fantastic season, and we won 60 games. Um you know, I'm excited. It'll be interesting to see who we play. There's still kind of the eighth is up for grabs right now. Um, four or five is looking interesting as well. Indiana obviously playing still pretty well without uh, Oladipo, but uh, they lost the other night to Boston. Boston looked pretty good. Um, Hayward coming back, finally playing. He was like, he was nine for nine in the game. Um, but uh, we, if you remember, we lost to Boston 4-3. We won all the home games. Uh, if we played them in the second round, We'd have four home games. Where do you think a team like that, who has not had a playoff win in forever, you have the best record, but where do you think expectation-wise, I'm not going to get into what's the success and what's not, but what do you? how do you think mentally they're going to approach that? Because getting over that first hump is going to be big, but then man, we're in a great position with the chance to host you know, the finals if we can get there. Yeah, that's it's exciting to think about that. I think... In normal situations, like a young Bulls team from the from the 80s and the early 90s, they had to get over uh, Detroit, you know, and, and, and they had learned how to win. And, and they would win playoff series, but they'd lose to them in the second round or in the, even in the conference finals and then finally got them. And once they got them, they won three in a row. It's, it's different now because we have guys who've been around the league for a while and played in playoff games and, and have been consistent for years now. You know, I think some of the signings, uh, not sure what, you know, Powell's status will be for the playoffs, but I think George Hill has been a super underrated signing for us. I think he's played fantastic. He has playoff pedigree. Um, and Bledsoe has been fantastic at the point. Chris Middleton, you know, has had an outstanding season. So I, I like our chances. How much NBA do you actually get to watch? Because I, with these guys every day, it's about zero combined minutes, and it, it drives me crazy on the air. But it's all tennis. I, I, I just want to yeah, talk tennis. Tennis and gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do watch a decent amount. I'm always uh, finding ways to watch the Bucks, um, and then I love Charles and Kenny and Shaq. Well, yeah. You know, so if there's a TNT game on, it doesn't matter who's playing. I'm going to be watching. Who's the best uh, NBA golfer you ever played with? Steph. He, is he, so yeah, he, he's fantastic. And you've played with him or just in the same tournament? Yeah, I played with him many times. You beat him? Head-to-head, uh, head, I think we're 2-1 good guys. Okay. But yeah. I've only beat him one time, I think, in the actual tournament. Gotcha. Okay. Is he giving you strokes? He should be. But, but in those tournaments, we, we just you play, you, know, you play your ball. And then i got to ask, you have the California connection. So as an owner now of the team... How much did you do you take credit, or how much credit should we give you for the Bucks signing Brooke Lopez? Because when we did this interview last year, it was a little bit later. The Bucks had signed him, and we talked about the season. And you said, "Well, they got Brolo," and Tausch said he didn't know who that was, and Jason wasn't <laughs> listening because it was NBA talk. But I knew what you were talking about. It's true. How, how much credit can we give you for uh, Brooke Lopez being like? the most improved player of all time. You can give me all the credit you want. I don't think I deserve any. Uh, John has done a great job with that roster. Fantastic job. And, you know, Coach Bud has been... Coach of the year. Yeah, for sure. He's been the X factor that's brought it all together. But but Brolo has made the most threes 
of his career, I believe, and he set some other record. Um, he stretches the floor, and that's what we needed. And now the other guy who's really been shooting it good, especially lately, is Bledsoe. So now if you're looking at the guys on the court, you know, we have a pl- absolute playmaker at point, and you got four guys, and we're not point, four, point forward in Giannis, mm-hmm. and you got four guys that shoot around him. So you're, you're pulling a big guy out of it. Now, I would think that some team's going to try and play small um, to try and either take Brooke out and make us, you know, bring in somebody smaller. But I think, uh, you know, Brooke has the ability to play defense on the perimeter um, that uh, will allow him to play as many minutes as we as we can get out of him. Playoff so, games on your calendar? Yeah. So if they have to pay up for Brooke Lopez next year and the Chris Middleton thing, you're cool with uh, – the luxury tax, right? As a minority owner. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this before. There'll be a there'll be a capital call for all the, you know, thirty five minority owners. Hey, it's going to be an extra million this year, everybody. We can uh, pay that this luxury fun. tax. All right, I have a I have a big picture NFL question. I have ideas, as you know. Uh, tell me where I'm wrong. Is this reap this new replay? Obviously, the Saint game and how it ended with the Rams and going to the Super Bowl. Now, pass interference is going to be reviewable. Are you concerned about this, or what? What's your take, and what solution do you think the NFL should look into? I said years ago, where does it stop? You know, if you start reviewing certain things, I've always felt, being kind of a traditionalist, that judgment calls—it's tough to review judgment calls. You know, what I mean, like true judgment calls, like something that's holding to me would be. A, a lot of them are judgment calls. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some that objectively are really easy to call. You know, the guy throws a guy down or tackles a guy, obviously. But when you start talking about how much impeding of movement or was the guy's feet running enough or was he even around the play, so should it be called, that's a subjective realm where I don't think you need to go down that path. When you have pass interference, it's the same type of thing. Um, the rule... Ultimately, to me, it has to. It has to change, right, with replay. It either is going to go completely one way or completely the other way. I don't think there's any middle ground anymore, right? It's got to be like every borderline call is not called or every borderline call is called, I think. Otherwise, what are we doing then? It's under the interpretation of... uh, Riberon in the in, in New York this time yeah I think that is this next time looks like the same play nah, maybe not this time right I mean th- th- to me that's logically what makes sense it's either going to kind of go everything that's close borderline I mean what are we going to do oh there's only three minutes left in the game we're not going to call this one but you know seven minutes left in the first quarter not nah, pi I think it gets into a really sticky situation but I mean if they're going if it's going to take away Game-changing, season-changing plays. That it, you know might help, but the CFL does it. They've done it for a long time, and, and um, I don't know. I mean, are you going to add more challenges for coaches now with this? No, it's the same. I mean, the, under the two-minute, I just think every play now. I, the fact, that from a fan standpoint, watching you guys as players. If you have a third and five and your defense makes a big play, it's not going to be the instant, well, now it's going to be, well, why not challenge? Oh, there was a hole. That's the part I think from a from a former player standpoint, 
I'm concerned about, the flow of the game and all those things. Everybody wants to get it right, and I think if you look at what happened in that game, it was obvious pass interference, and it should have been called, but there hasn't been anything definitive put out yet. Yeah, we're getting into PGA Tour realm, where we have kind of these rules we want to make, but we're not quite sure how we want to enforce them, how strict we want to be, is there leniency? I mean, look what's happened with the PGA Tour, you know, with some of the stuff they've done. I mean, just ridiculous things. Um, and and not in the spirit of the original rules. Like the initial pin-in all the time is meant for pace of play, not so you can leave it in all the time on a 15-footer downhill that you're worried might go four feet past because grains are running 13 on the stent meter and you can't stop it. With pass interference, you know, are we going to be able to, just because it's the NFL and it, you know, it's going to be clear with these camera angles, for sure the intent of the rule of why we're putting it in to save situations like we had in the playoffs, is that really going to be the end game? I don't know. Hopefully. But I don't think anybody can say for sure that oh, it's going to change everything. And I do think there's going to be that delayed re- reaction where it's like, was it close? Yeah. So we saw it with the hits on the quarterback, though, last year where there was controversy about it. You were all in favor they, of that, right? And But you even said that there were certain plays where you got flags that you didn't think should have been flagged. I got one flag. Right. So if, if you look at the way that played out, and then they just stopped calling it all together right. as the season went on, is this going to be a feeling out process and for you as a No, because that's a flag. That's not a, that's not a challenge opportunity. Okay. I think it's different. Will you, will you do something different in the final two minutes? Will you make a throw that you might not normally make? No, I don't think so. Ch- no, that doesn't no, affect But that. I might say I think receivers might be doing that flag motion, like to throw the – challenge flag a little bit more in certain situations and i think it's going to be like a to use a tennis reference you know if there's a point that ends a uh, game or a set or an important point on maybe a you know a break point somebody just automatically kind of does the challenge right there'd probably be a lot more of those where maybe it's a super game-changing play and you know it's borderline or it's not even worth challenging but someone might just challenge it so are we adding you know, a couple minutes to the game. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully it, it makes it better because, I mean, those, that the idea is it's going to make the game smoother and better and eliminate any of the gray areas. But sometimes when these rules happen, more gray areas show up. So would you rather have the sky judge who is doing this instead of having it the way they decided to do it? Where there's, if he sees an egregious, he can just radio down right then. They tested it with the AAF. CFL has it. That didn't end well. Well, their, their financing did not end well, but maybe the idea wasn't a terrible. Like, Bring back NFL Europe, that's mine. I think that'd be a good idea. It's great value in that, wasn't there, for a lot of those guys? It was, yeah. Not for the league, they lost a couple million a team, but but it was great value for those guys. I think that uh, when it's just one person doing it, I think it should be more people. Okay. Radio and down. Hey, this, you know, booth reviews. So every year we do ask you, if you were the commissioner, what you would do. This obviously is something that the commissioner and the owners and certainly the competition committee felt was important they needed to change because there was such a high-profile thing. Are there things going on in your game right now that you like, don't like, you would like to see different that do spring to mind when that question comes up or not really? Last time I said this, I said it very gently, and this big article was written about how I have all these ideas for the league, and I'm upset about this and that. Was so, that the Wall Street Journal story? 
It might have been. It wasn't. It wasn't with us. No. Uh, I don't. You know, at this point, honestly, in the season, I just finished day one, so we're not really <laughs> thinking about all these different uh, changes. Now we'll be on the field, you know, in like two weeks for minicamp, but uh, later in the season, or you know, when I start thinking about those kind of things. I'll probably have a better answer for you, and you probably won't ask. But um, it's probably true. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think there's the popularity of the league. I think is doing really well. We got a lot of, you know, great uh, young players and and coaches who are doing some great things. And I think it's, uh, you know, exciting time for the NFL. Well, we love it when you make time for us. We do this every year, a couple times a year. I'm glad we've made it past your prediction for the show last thing. There were some we, we were was, worried at one point. Yeah, getting dicey. Um, so you feel better? Like I, I know you didn't have to do this. We ask you all the time. Sometimes you put us off. But do you feel like you got everything off your chest or, or corrected things that needed to be corrected? You feel like you've covered the ground you need to cover? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I care deeply about my teammates, this city, this organization. And when people are taking shots like that, you know, it's only I'm reminded of a, of an old George Carlin uh, quote. Wait, George Carlin, do we need to have the dump button ready? Is there... <laughs> He's talking about, you know, this uh, this lion who's, you know, kind of getting nipped at and nipped at and just kind of laying there and not letting you know, just allowing this to happen, these hyenas, and then finally they've had enough. This lion's had enough, and he just smacks one of them down. I feel like as an organization, you know, we take the high road all the time. And maybe because of that, we're an easier target, or I'm an easier target, or Mike was an easier target. It's tough to to take the high road, especially when you have six shooters of information. And... At some point, when you lie a few too many times or keep rolling out the same rhetoric, I think it's only natural that people are like, all right, enough's enough. Well, that's enough for us. Thanks for making time for us. We love it. I hope, uh, hope we can do this next year.